Hello, and welcome to our podcast, All the Things. We're here to talk about all the things. Faith, politics, race, gender. All the things that have been off the table, we're going to talk about those things. Again, welcome to All the Things. Let's get started with today's episode. All right. Hello, all. It's Bernal Miller. And Dr. Jen Self. And Aaron Jones. And we are here to talk about all the things, y'all, this week. I know we have brought up CRT before, critical race theory before, but y'all, I am getting so many calls as an equity trainer from people who are like, oh, no, we can't do equity training because it's CRT. As what is CRT? They don't have any clue what CRT is. They do not. Anyways. So this week, I've been tweeting about this stuff all week, and I came across this video by Ted Cruz, y'all. That is horrible, awful, disgusting, so not true. And the the other folks have not heard this yet. So Dr. Jen and Fernal have not heard this video yet. So we're just going to play this cold, and I want you all to hear this. I want you all to hear this, and they're going to hear it cold. And then we're going to talk about why this is so dangerous, why this boogeyman, this making CRT into a boogeyman by telling an untruth about what CRT is, is so incredibly dangerous to everyone, not just to black and brown people. It is dangerous to America. So anyway, I don't know who's playing it. I think that's the is playing it. Let me get, wait, let me get yes. myself on because I don't know if I'm going to, you know, I'm going to be, okay. All right. Ready. You buckled, buckled up. Oh. Get buckled up. All right. Buckled up. Here we go. Hair liberated and everything. Let's go. <laughs> what is critical race theory? You know, I had a just this week on Capitol Hill, I had a reporter run up to me. He thought he, thought he had a gotcha. He said, Hey, what's critical race theory? Apparently, well, he thought cool. I would turn to him and say, Gosh, I have no idea. I think it's really bad, but I just don't know what it is, you know, because, you know, conservatives are morons and we don't know what we're talking about. Like, he really did think this was such a boy. He really got you there. And I explained to him, I said, well, it's a theory that derives from Marxism. Karl Marx viewed the entire world as a conflict between classes, between the owners of capital and the working men and women, the proletariat, a fundamental battle in society. Critical race theory takes that same Marxist concept, except it replaces class with race. And it says all of America and all of the world is a battle between the races. Critical race theory says every white person is a racist. Critical race theory says America is fundamentally racist and irredeemably racist. Critical race theory seeks to turn us against each other. And if someone has a different color skin, seeks to make us hate that person. And let me tell you right now, critical race theory is bigoted. It is a lie. And it is every bit as racist as the Klansmen in white sheets. That's really all we need right there. Like, do we have to listen to the rest? Isn't that enough? Goodness gracious. Yeah, this is what leaders are sharing about critical race theory. I mean, this is this is the boogeyman. This is what it has been presented as. And then what I pulled from there that I was so profoundly ignorant and wrong. So first of all, he makes a mockery of his own self. I mean, he's speaking truth about himself. But anyway, I don't even want to go there. Right. But when he says it makes out America to be irredeemably racist or irredeemable in any way, it's so problematic to me. That is not at all the point of critical race. The point is, let's look at it and fix it. 
That's the whole point. Yep. Is that it is redeemable. That's right. That is the whole point. So that that little piece right there, like pissed me off. And that it suggests that we need to hate all white people or that all white people should hate black people. Like it's it's, it's embedded in love for country. That's the whole foundation of critical race theory is we love this country so much. Anyway, I'm gonna shut up and I'm curious what you all thought, because this is the like the fifth time now I've had to listen to that man's voice. Well, first you'd have to have some critical thinking going on <laughs> that's, about that's right. Risk. That's right. Um, so that that's obviously not happening. And the the <laughs> any of those who are in any uh, courses, graduate courses, or had a chance to sit to listen to anybody who teaches critical race theory theory knows that it's not it's not something that you can just get you know oh here's here's a lesson plan on it let's give it to our kids and then this is how it uh, like it doesn't even you know you don't even first can you talk to a teacher really about it and 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 realize that you don't even know what you, you're talking about um i'm just looking at in germany um learning about the holocaust um without feeling guilty was hard i'm reading a comment um but teachers they say we can't look um i want to read the whole thing for you hold on a second the hit the history teachers always said it's not your generation's responsibility that the holocaust happened but it's our responsibility to make sure it never happened again and then learning about it helps helps that happen learning about our truth learning about our history learning about that so we cannot repeat because we keep america keeps re, we keep repeating it over and over we're living in it uh, all the black and white pictures you see of everything we're just living it in color today there's not there's not much difference um yes there's been gains yes there's been that but but really does it take 400 years to do that i mean we've all learned about um other tragedies all over the world, all inhumane behavior, all of that. And yet people move forward. People are acknowledging, people make apologies, reparations, all, all of that, except for America. So now that we want to hide it, it, it just reminds me of the scene of like, you know, get all the books out of the library, burn it, burn it. We don't want anybody to read it. Like, really? Are we going to be that ignorant and put our head in the sand? and afraid of our own shadow because our shadow is a big what we're going to be a boogie monster about it now how about we just learn the truth and deal with who who we are and stop making it even more of a monster by demonizing it and then those who talk about it so that's just my little start yeah. of the take on it yeah well well the, the thing that Okay, so there's so many things I want to say, but one the, one of the things <laughs> that that That's what we're <laughs> okay, where to start? Okay, so one of the things that I that I think is so hypocritical is that if 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 all of these folks want to talk about that this is um, something that we shouldn't talk about, should, it doesn't exist, blah blah blah, all of this stuff. First of all, all of these folks are so obsessed with power. And power is at the is at the center of critical race theory. Power is what we're talking about, right? Power, and and part of what they're saying they're they're denying they're denying that power plays a role in race. They're denying that they're they're saying, oh no, no, we can't talk about pow power being associated with race. We can't talk about that because that doesn't exist. That doesn't happen. 
So they're saying, basically they're saying, that doesn't, we don't, we never associate power with anything. Really? Because you're obsessed with power. <laughs> you, you associate power with everything. You associate power with money. You associate power with status. You associate power with everything. Nation. But not race. But not race. <laughs> but not race. Okay. The, the one thing that's been driving our country since the very beginning, that's not the thing. Okay. So that that drives me a little bit bonkers that they're trying to pull that pull that over our eyes. But the other thing is that when we when we talk about like like let's take Kimberly Crenshaw, who's a critical race theorist, who when I love it when people ask name a critical race theorist and they're like, oh, I can't name anybody. So <laughs> talk about Kimberly Crenshaw. And and when we think about like when she talks about um, what is the basis of this? It's it's the basis is people's real lived experiences. So she's talking about Black women's experiences in the world, and their perspective on how their lived realities have played out. Right, and so how gender, and race, and class all intersect, and what that plays out like, what it looks like. So, and she's the one that created the term intersectionality. Correct? That's that's okay. right. She just wanted to make sure. Yeah, that's right. She created the term intersectionality, and and so this this theory is not it's not it's not a theory that's based in it's not like a lot of theories. It's not a theory that someone just thought up and said, oh, you know, I theorized this thing over here happened. This theory is based in lived reality. It's based on the lives of black women and men and other people of color who have lived for hundreds of years in around the world and in this country and have had the same kinds of experiences over and 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 over again. So this isn't based on theorizing. It's based on lived reality that plays out because of how power has been associated with race, class, gender, and how it has been hoarded and kept in the hands of some people and used to keep down other people. That is what this theory is about. It's a theory that is actual, <laughs> it's actuality. It's played out in real life, so. I, you know, I think too. I want to. I want to speak to something that I've been hearing a ton lately. Um, it's about hating white people, and I just want to offer back to something that Fernell said earlier about Germany, um, because I grew up next to Germany. Um, so there was a lot of talk about Germany facing its truth. And um, so, to my white brothers and sisters who are watching today, and to those of you who are trying to talk to white people about this. This is not about saying every white person is a bad person. That's not that's not the point of this. It's not a that the point is not to point out the bad guys. That's that's not the point of this. The point is to say, okay, maybe you didn't own slaves. Maybe you weren't part of the the government that wrote redlining laws, or you're not a banker. And yet, as a white person, you benefit from those laws that were written specifically to benefit white people or to disenfranchise black and brown people. And so again, I I think there's a difference. Um, I think what's being 
spit out by people all over the place is, oh, it's making white people out to be the bad guys. Now, what it's saying is white people have benefited from this for a long time. And so you got to take responsibility now for making it better. So, yeah, so maybe right. you didn't personally participate in the, the harm. But you have a responsibility as someone who has benefited, or people have who have benefited. You have a responsibility now to choose to do something different, and and I think that's a really different thing. Um, and I I personally don't like calling individual people racist, although I do believe in calling stuff people do and systems racist. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. I I don't think it's useful to call people, and and yet people benefit from racism. Yeah. And even Ibram X. Kendi talked about, man, he benefits from racism at times. And and he says that, you know, if I don't check myself, there are times when I I assimilate or I do things that reproduce the racism that someone else created as a black man. Yeah. So it's not about saying, okay, white people, all y'all are bad and awful. It's about saying, okay, this system was created to make sure white people had power and white people got stuff. Yeah. And so you got to take responsibility for that. Yeah. I mean, it's, listen, I I know that if I don't, like one of the things that I know is if I don't talk about within the first few minutes of teaching or the first three minutes of doing something in front of an audience, if I don't start talking about my values around um, anti-racism, I know that that I have lost a lot of the audience because because one, I will I'll gain a lot of white people in that audience because they'll think, oh, that person is not about anti-racism. And I will lose a lot of people in the audience because um, BIPOC people in that audience will think, okay, it's just another white person who is who is not thinking about me and is gonna be racist. And so now, now that's not necessarily white privilege acting, but that is a history of white privilege and racism in acting, right? And so part of my, part of the way I think about myself in front of people I've got to be talking about this all the time. I have to undermine, I have to undermine myself. I have to undermine that privilege all the time. And so, yeah, what he's talking about is absolutely right. I'm constantly being privileged by by this, whether I want to be or not, I'm constantly being privileged. And the ultimate privilege is not having to talk about it. That's right. Not having to recognize, acknowledge, um, understand, uh, uh, examine, uh, or critically critically think about it ever. So now that we have a term, there's a term, critical race theory. Now you're going to make me do it, and so yeah. so to weaponize the term to to what to make you actually learn about yourself and where you live and how to make and change it for the better. Right. I think we all need to take a critical look at ourselves. So. Well, it's so interesting. I mean, the term's been around for since yeah. the late 70s. Yeah. I mean, I think that's the thing that's so fascinating to me is this is not a new term. This is not a new concept. And yet it's being waved around as if this is a new thing. Look at these look at this new idea. And, you know, these people are causing the division. Mm -hmm. (laughs) These people who want to talk about this thing, critical race theory, are the ones who are causing the division. And that's instead of, like you said, Aaron, that's the power play. 
let's pull out a new toy, wave it around, distract everybody. La, 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 and that's like, yeah, who's doing that? Yeah, oh, the people who have always had power are doing that. Yeah. Okay. I saw a tweet the other day by um, a black woman who's a like a third grade teacher. And she said, she said, oh, you know, um, she said, why, why get upset about something that's not happening in schools? Ask any teacher in, in the schools if, if critical race theory is being taught and they'll tell you it is not. So, and, and it's just, it's, I, I've been saying this is the same tactic that's been used against um, LGBT people for the last 40 years is these these kinds of um, scare tactic movements around, you can't talk about, you can't talk about LGBT, you can't talk about sexuality and gender in schools. And it was the same thing. Nobody was talking about being gay in the schools in the eighties. Nobody was talking about it. But these kinds of measures started popping up in order to prevent that kind of a thing. Um, and now we're, and now here we are, we have to prevent this conversation about something that really isn't taking place. Because, and then look at all the real conversations that aren't happening because we're taking, we're taking our attention and on our shiny new toy right. over to the side. That's right. And, and so look at all the things that we are purposefully ignoring or putting down because now, oh, we have something, we have a fear tactic and a power grab. And so now we can freeze everybody and get back onto the train of, uh, you know, the, the numbing, yeah. the numbing of our, of our critical thought that has been rising up after what we have seen this past year of all the lessons, everything that we've learned, if you are going to put all that down and then pick your fear up and then, and stay stagnant, then, yeah. then that's a, that's a power grab. That's a play. That's a, that's a goal. That's a, a that. Yeah. When it's all about too, it's all about not wanting. So I've, I've heard this a number of times in the last few weeks from education leaders, you know, we don't want people to feel uncomfortable. And I'm like, okay, so you're okay with me feeling uncomfortable right. and with children who look like me feeling uncomfortable, you're okay with that. Well, on the other side, I mean, having run school improvement for the state of Washington, where almost all of the buildings that were in failure were schools that were filled with children who looked like me, or they were Latino, Latinx, or they were Pacific Islander. Mm -hmm. So on the one hand, you don't want us to feel comfortable though. And then you wonder why our test scores are not where they need to be. Mm -hmm. Like, do you not see the connection there that we're so worried? We want to just pat the backs of our white children. And, and here's the other thing. Our white children now are seeing this all play out and this is doing harm to them too. Yeah. Because they are realizing people are lying. Somebody's lying to me here. Somebody is lying to me here. And this is what we see in our students, don't we, for now, in our, in our class. This is what we're seeing in our white students. They're is, critical. They're critical. Yes. Because they're closest to their humanity. They have already figured it out. Like, this isn't right. Yeah. Because we're not getting any lessons about critical. We're not even getting to talk about race at school. How are we even, what are you worried about us being a, about critical race theory for? They won't even have educators engaged in conversation about race unless it's, you know, an, an incident or an emergency and it has to be talked about. Yeah. Nobody coming to the table to just have conversation about it and understanding about it and engagement right. about it. Right. That's, that's anyway. Well, and what you said, Aaron, when you said 
they don't want people to be uncomfortable. So right there is an example of what I was talking about earlier. People is being infused with power and it invisibilizes white. Right. Yeah. Because that, yeah. Yeah. when they say people, yeah. they're talking about white people. It's, white people. it's only white people. It's yeah. only white people. Mm-hmm. They don't want white people yeah. to be uncomfortable. That's, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's that. It's interesting. Another thing that I heard today, I was listening to an interview, and there are several white pastors that I've heard say this over time, but I was listening to an interview between a white pastor and a black pastor. Well, he's not a pastor, he's in ministry, though. And I've heard many pastors say this. I'm not going to call out this particular pastor because I've heard it. It's a refrain that I've heard at least for the last year, if not for the last two or three years, that slavery was actually a blessing. So, and I I know I've been hearing this for decades now Mm -hmm. from white Christian folks and their justification of slavery, because look at what would have happened if they had not been brought to this country. Look at where they would have lived and the kind of situation. Anyway, so this, this, White pastor was saying, you know, but but slavery turned into a blessing because look at how you get to live now in this country. So he's saying this to a, a very wealthy black man um, who didn't know how to respond. So this particular person on, on a stage in front of a bunch of white people did not. So and so didn't have the response right away. Mm-hmm. Um, but it made me think it made me think of an analogy that. Um, I just, I want to present to you all because it, it just made so much sense to me in my mind. So I have a, a really good friend who is the product of a rape. So this child came into the world because mother was raped right. and um, came into the world at a time before abortion. So it's just a few old, years older than me. So mom was not able to have an abortion. That wasn't an option. So had to carry the baby to term and then was so traumatized, of course, by the rape that um, she gave the baby away and um, he had a really, he's had a really great life, had really great adoptive parents. But it reminds me of like, it was, it would be as if we said to this woman, oh, but look at the gift that you had in, in having this child. Mm-hmm. So the rape, we'll, we'll acknowledge that that was a really bad thing, but but look at the blessing that came out of that. Right. And it, this feels much like that. that. Okay, yeah, he's the blessing. He, the child is a gift in the world and i'm that woman is still traumatized by the rape yeah right but it's almost like saying slavery just forget about slavery because now you get to live in the best country in the world and it's like okay uh, okay we live in a great country and there's still the trauma from all that's happened yeah and i just want to throw out another thing that happened for me at our juneteenth event here in north thurston there was an old oh oh, go ahead for now before you go on erin my, as I'm thinking about the response that I would have in that situation is you get to you, you get to live in a great country and be here now. Um, yes. And but I don't get to have connection with my roots, mm. my history and my language yeah. and the, yeah. uh, the spirit and soul that I feel connected to that I don't have any way to access or. Yeah. or and so that blessing that. Um, may appear to be because look how comfortable it looks to live, but internally how damaged yeah. and uncomfortable and unrestful and traumatized I am from having to live here. How, how do you know that I'm a complete and whole person? Because look at how I have to live in relationship to who you, right. who I am. To yeah. you. And again, without blackness, there would be no whiteness. Yeah. 
So, right. so again, the, the, a full humanity would be with, I shouldn't have to live as a three fifths of a person to measure up to whiteness. That is right. That is a, that is a construct anyway. So how great can that be? Yeah. And so, I mean, I love that analogy there for now, taking it to another place. I mean, being raped is, is not saying yes, not having the opportunity to say yes to an experience, right? It's it's being forced into, just like slaves, were forced into an experience and stripped of their relationship, right? Mm -hmm. Stripped of their culture, stripped of that connection. I mean, I, I love that. I'm going to have to work through that because I think that is a really... There's so many powerful lines in that analogy now that I'm thinking about it. Um, I mean, it is the post-traumatic slave disorder. That disconnect. And family and heritage and his birth mom in that, right. that child, you know, right. family and all that. But look what he's, what, look what he doesn't have. Right. Not and he can't ever have a relationship with that dad. He can't ever yeah. because of how it happened. He right. can't ever. Even if they were to reconcile at some point, he can't ever have the relationship with his dad that was meant to be. Like, it, had they been in a healthy relationship in the beginning, he's never going to be able to have that. Yeah. Well, the other part of this is that um, I think we, it's, a, it's, a false, it's a false narrative to... Um, to say that that thriving is related to yes what happened absolutely right thriving oh, yes. thriving yes. thriving is about your strength thriving is yes. about the strength of the people it's not about what happened the thing that happened is the crappy shitty awful thing that happened right. thriving is because the people are strong and the people make it happen they thrive because of that they thrive in spite of it, not because of it. Yeah, yeah, no, I absolutely, absolutely love that. So I was just disgusted by yeah. that analogy and I, I'm hearing it in a lot of places, like look at, and then I wanna tell them, so have you studied colonization? So do you know why the continent of Africa struggles so much? Right. <laughs> Let's talk about the Belgians who stole all the diamonds. Exactly, anyway, I know, I right? Even in this moment, we just had a critical, race theory conversation. That's right. That, that was it. Yep. Because you could critically look at two sides and, and other um, opinions or viewpoints from different vantage points. Yep, that's right. So let's see, did, did, did it, was anybody ruined today? Was it, did anybody have <laughs> like, that, that discomfort take you to a place where you just can't live and be human anymore? Is the sky falling? <laughs> It may be. It may be. <laughs> I, I've had a critical race conversation about band-aids with kids. Uh -huh. yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, I, it, look at the band-aids that are in boxes and that they're called skin. Right. And then when and when black people have to put the skin on, well then then what it's what what's ours called? Right. So, so let's critically look at that. What should band-aids look like? What does skin look like? That that's a critical race. That's, conversation. that's exactly and why right. are the band-aids all that color right like having a conversation about who gets yes. censored who's normalized right yes there it is and then we could go into cpr well I, well i've held a cpr card all my life from mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. every cpr video mm -hmm. why, why we why are the mannequins all yep. on skin right who, who gets saved who gets rescued in the films in the in the materials so true Never 
once do I see anybody kneel down and give mouth to mouth to anybody black or brown. That's right. So brown people always save the white people. Why? Mm. So let's critically talk about things. Why are we set up? That's the, the part about, can we fix that? Can we talk yeah. about it? We can't fix it if we can't face it. You've mm. said that a million times, Erin. <laughs> yes. Yes, I have. You know, if y'all haven't known it, we've been having a critical race theory podcast all this time. All this time. <laughs> well, and Erin, it sounds like too, um, I, w- I was wondering actually, you know, we I was saying that this isn't really being taught in schools, but it sounds like you have been hearing a little bit of backlash against even just equity conversations now, like for folks who are doing this equity work. And I'm, I kind of wonder if this is not more geared at that than it actually is at the schools, like as a, as a tactic to stop this larger equity conversation that, that started. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So Mm -hmm. I mean, CRT has become the boogeyman yeah. and it now is the lightning rod for all things race related. Yep. So, yep. And so that's equity. That's, but I mean, we know yep. that um, president Trump made it illegal, right. right. For any government agencies to do any, yep. and he didn't say critical race theory at the time. No. He just said any equity training. And I, I worried actually, am I going to lose work? Which I did not, but um, yeah. I have friends who did. Yeah. I have a friend who is a big time consultant and she lost um, all her big government contracts. Oof. And, um, yeah. you know, fortunately he didn't get reelected. So all of that went away pretty quickly. So she only lost months of work. Um, but I think, you know, it has become this boogeyman for, you know, any conversation about race is bad. And, um, and I think that's really, it's so problematic because, you know, as Spernell said, which I say all the time, we can't fix what we're not willing to face. I think, you know, it's why Alcoholics Anonymous is so powerful because every time you go to a meeting, you acknowledge, okay, here's who I am. Here is my struggle and we're going to link arms and we're going to fight this together. That's what critical race theory is about. That's what the work that we are trying to do is about is, mm-hmm. okay, America, we have this problem yeah. and we have lots of problems, but this is the one that we want to tackle. I mean, we can't do it by ourselves. We want to link arms, black people, white people, Asian people, trans people, you know, all of us. We got to link arms and we have to be willing to face. We're not going to face it alone. We're not asking anybody to face it alone. And I've never, I've never been to an AA meeting, but I have enough friends who are in AA. Nobody ever stands up and says, oh my gosh, y'all suck. No, that's right. Y'all suck. I can't believe that you showed up here tonight. I can't believe you bad person. Nobody ever... I've never, ever heard of that happening, right? No. They all say, okay, yep, you know what? You're here, I'm here too. We're all broken and we all get to be part That's of right. the solution. That's, That's right. what critical race theory is about. It's not about saying we're hopelessly. And that's why That's, that's right. why I think Ted Cruz's message is so dangerous. Yeah, I think that, to, excuse me, to me is the most dangerous part of his message is that critical race theory suggests that we're irredeemable. Yeah, I think that's the most dangerous line in his message because that's not at all the point the point is we gotta call a thing a thing because once we call it a thing we can actually now address it and we can fix it but if we're unwilling to call the thing a thing how do we tackle it if we're not willing to say we have a problem yeah that's right anyway so i was gonna tell you the story that happened at our juneteenth event in tumwater so i really didn't think we're gonna have very many people because we didn't do a ton of advertising, but we probably had close to 100 people throughout the day at that little facility. So it felt really full. And 
But there was an older white man who showed up who obviously was not connected to anybody. And I was wondering when he first came in, like, how did this guy find out? Because I know he's not connected on Facebook to any of us. And here's what he shared. We did introductions around, which is pretty awesome. And he said, well, I've never heard of Juneteenth until this year, but I was looking at the deed for my house, which I bought in 1976. I think he said he was 68 years old. He bought his house in 1976. And for some reason last week, he was looking at the deed and it said, cannot be sold, sold to a Negro. So it said in his deed that wow. he just looked at last week wow. of his house in Thurston County, cannot be sold to a Negro. Yep. And that was his aha. He said, oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. I thought, I didn't realize it was still happening. I didn't realize this was still in deed. I need to get educated. So here's this 68 year old white guy, single guy. I don't know if he ever had a spouse, but he doesn't have one now. He's a single white guy who decided I'm going to step in and learn. He went to every Juneteenth event that he could find in the region. So I think he'd already <laughs> been to Centralia's. He came to ours and then he was headed to one in Olympia after that. And I thought, if this 68 year old man can show up at a Juneteenth event. Yeah. And what was so awesome, what was so awesome is after we were done with the speaking part, he came and found me because I read the Emancipation Proclamation out loud. Mm -hmm. And then I read the piece about um, Lincoln saying to someone before he actually declared the Emancipation Proclamation that really I'm about saving the union. And I, whether we can save, whether we keep slavery or not is not my concern. I really care most about the union. So, like, I'm not saying Lincoln is a horrible, awful, bad guy. I think he's a man of his time, but he's also not a hero to me. No, for me, he's not a right. hero. That's right. And um, so I was mentioning that, and and this man finds me afterwards in the restaurant, and he says, "Aaron, I want to understand how." Lincoln really was not committed to ending slavery. I said, I want you to look at the Emancipation Proclamation again. The states in the North that had slavery got to keep slavery. Even with the Emancipation Proclamation, they got to keep slavery. He was not so anti-slavery that he washed it away. He was more about power, back to that power thing again. Mm -hmm. He was more about power and keeping the union together because he realized the power in that. Yep. And so... If we were going to make him out to be a hero, he would have set all the slaves free, which he did not do. That's right. Because he was more worried about power mm -hmm. and keeping the union together than he was about morality and setting everybody free. Yep. But it was so fascinating. This older white guy, 68-year-old man, still ready to learn, still curious. And so if you're listening right now. Beautiful. And you're 50 or 60 or 70. I want to encourage you. I, actually, if you're 30 or 40, I want to encourage you to talk to your parents. Because I think sometimes we think people are too old to change. They're too old. I think older people are more set in their ways. And I think so many older white people just haven't had any exposure to this. They are, they're basing all of their attitudes on what they learned, which is not this. And so in their minds, they just can't. And they need personal stories so they can understand why they should care right now. Well, I'm glad you brought this um, sound bite. Yeah, me too. For the trigger warning. Take the belt off now. And <laughs> just, these are why we talk about all the things. Yeah. This is why. So thank you for listening, tuning in, bringing it up, and putting it on the table.
Hey, y'all. As I said to people at the end of Juneteenth on Saturday, so I don't know when y'all be listening to this, but whenever you listen to it, don't just celebrate Juneteenth. Don't just celebrate MLK. Mm -hmm. Do something. Mm -hmm. So learn and then do. Don't just learn. Don't just show up at a march. Don't just show up and listen to a great speaker at a Juneteenth event or a Martin Luther King event. Actually get out there and choose to do something. So invest in a Black person, a Black business. Um, go to an NAACP meeting. Don't just go to one. Go to multiple and then figure out a way that you can serve. That's a way that you can give back. So when you hear this word reparation and you think, what? We don't pay Black people. Well, you may not have a million dollars to pay Black people, but you can invest your $5 or your $10 in a black person in your community or in another community. If there are no black people in your community, programs there are lots what for now? Programs that support them. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And there are lots of them. Mm -hmm. There's a big list in my field guide on the website. I've mm -hmm. listed everybody in Washington. Go help. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. So we're good. All good. Okay. Till next time. Till next time. Bye. Find Pernell Miller. Look for her at The Root of Us on Facebook and Instagram, as well as LinkedIn. And check out her book, You Are Here, Field Guide for Racial Reality, on the website. If you want to reach Dr. Jen so, you can find them on LinkedIn or at brick13.com. If you're looking for Erin Jones, you can find her on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, and Instagram. You can also purchase a copy of her book she co-authored, Thrive, on Amazon. Until next time, keep talking about all the things.